Optimal Bio podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at OptimalBio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Welcome, everybody, to our first podcast in 2022 with Dr. Greg Brennan. How are you today, Greg? Great, Jim. Fantastic. Thanks for asking. You know, there's a couple things I want to go over today, and one's going to be a learning uh, session for me and hopefully for our listeners as well as we talk about peptides and we talk about CJC and the benefits of that. Um, But also, I think one of the things that... I think Optimal Bio and you in particular have revolutionized uh, in the last couple of years is the actual uh, BHRT pellet placement uh, in both male and female. And I think that's somewhat overlooked at times. You know, obviously there's different types of testosterone treatments. And I want to go over again, you know, shots and orals and all the positives and negatives to all though, and then all the, to those, and then hopefully focus a little bit more about, um, you know, what we're doing here at Optimal Bio and you in particular, you know, that have helped, um, I think almost eliminate, you know, any significant adverse events, you know, post-placement, you know, going forward. And it's something that I think you, you do with a lot of humility and we don't really talk about. Uh, so I thought today we would, you know, cover that because I do think that um, Optimal Bio is somewhat unique in that regard. Makes sense? Oh, thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So um, why don't we just kind of give a, you know, testosterone one-on-one lesson um, and talk a little bit about the different treatment options that are out there these days um, and kind of have you walk through the the pros and cons of you know, let's just start with the orals. You know, let's go, um, you know, I think we see some commercials these days with Roman and, uh, you know, there's other uh, providers that uh, provide oral testosterone. So why don't we cover that first? Yeah, first off is uh, the route of administration is very important. But the first thing to understand is there is a low testosterone um, epidemic going. The range of testosterone 40, 50 years ago for an adult male was anywhere between 800 and 1400. Now, um, some universities have it 170 to 700. So we have to first recognize that there is a defect. And the reason why we're having a decrease, Dr. Traviston did a, a study where he looked at the last five decades, the last 50 years, average about 1% to 2% per year decline uh, with where we start, the initial starting point, let alone 1% or 2% per year we're losing. It has to do with because testosterone converts to estrogen in both men and women, which specifically talking about men right now. But estrogen is what's the rate limiter. That's the hormone that turns off the production of testosterone. So what's happened in the last 50 years, we've been getting a lot of what's called neuroendocrine disruptors. And there are xenoestrogens. Xeno means foreign. So these foreign estrogens in our water and our fluid supply is tricking the body that we have enough estrogen. Therefore, we're not making the testosterone. So these levels, these ranges are correct for today, but they're not a healthy population base, number one. Then the next thing is, what's the best route to replace this? Well, you talk about oral. The first thing that's important to understand, the very first time testosterone was even isolated in human beings was 1931. The first paper ever showing 
pellets um, therapy given to a human being was in 1935 on women who had hysterectomies and replaced with testosterone and estrogen. Men was 1937. So we'll get to oral in a minute, Jim, but the first one was pellet. By uh, 1947, they actually changed the structure. A natural testosterone called 17-beta testosterone. They made an oral version, 17-alpha-methyl, and they gave that orally, and they found early as 19 in, in the late 40s, it was increasing blood clots and possible cancer. So the route is very products that affect the liver. Then you had shots. They were done in the uh, late 40, early 40s. Um, great way to go. There's an injection into the muscle, so there's a depot there. But the problem is the half-life is very fast, so there's peaks and valleys. Um, and then the creams came out a little bit later that. Great again, but there's still peaks and valleys, and the skin does not act as a great entryway over time because it becomes uh, not as efficient. So that's why we optimal bio believe pellets are the best because they mimic the testicle, the best thing out there. They have a nice steady state and when the heart beats faster, you get a rise. So that's the best way to mimic our testicles as best as possible. Okay, so you've covered uh, three of the applications oh. uh, within the first uh, four minutes of the podcast, but let's kind of go back. <laughs> we'll go more detail. Let's go back. I appreciate okay. the history lesson on testosterone. Um, why do people take orals? I mean, is it simply because it's easy to do? And, uh, you know, and then if you could, if, so that's one question. The second question is, you know, from an efficacy standpoint, you know, eliminating the, the adverse events you just spoke about a few minutes ago with the safety um, issues. Um, let's just talk about the efficacy of that. Okay. There is no oral test, a bioidentical testosterone. There are oral like Anavar, oral synthetic anabolic steroids. Again, they're, di- they're different. They do work, but they're different structure, therefore different potency, different metabolism, and different elimination. That's the complication problem. You want to have a, a, a hormone that's identified as sane. That's what Mayo Clinic says. The definition of bioidentical is the body recognizes as sane. Atom for atom, molecule for molecule, three-dimensional structure for three-dimensional structure. So therefore, how could you get that to the body? You can't do it taking the enteric route through the oral uh, because, again, it won't be absorbed by the structure. You change the structure, increase blood clots through the liver. There are buccal amounts where you suck and let your, your inside your cheek um, can, can absorb it. Again, it does not reach peak levels. So, But when you take Anavar, it is oral, but it's not testosterone. It is a synthetic anabolic steroid that has great... We'll say when you look at the outside effects of burning fat, building muscle, but it's not recognized the same in the body, so you don't have the same benefits of insulin resistance. You have uh, the way you burn fat properly, but more importantly, at the metabolic level, it is throwing a monkey wrench into it. It's not working the way your body's supposed to work. So if you were taking some of these synthetics uh, orals and I was going to get a lab test and getting my testosterone uh, checked on a regular basis, would my testosterone increase by taking these orals? Your testosterone increase, but also the form of the, the metabolites would show it's not a natural one. So the form metabolites are what you actually could see. So you know it's not a it's not a bioidentical source or an endogenous source made by your testicles. And since it's not identical, that's what um, potentially could be causing some of these safety issues with it as well. One hundred percent. And you had mentioned clotting uh, as one of them. Clotting, yeah. If you get a uh, um, if you get uh, hormones. Um, estrogen and estrogen testosterone orally can affect the clotting mechanism of the liver, which the liver is supposed to do, but it makes it hypercoagulable. I'll give you an example. Women, when they're pregnant, are in a hypercoagulable state because of the high estrogens. So 
That's why it's important to understand the mechanism. We want to try to mimic, bypass the liver, bypass the gut, and try to get in the bloodstream as fast as possible. And that's why the transdermal or the creams are beneficial, but they can't reach the same enough levels uh, versus the pellet, which again, I know it's, I did a little history lesson, but it is the, when they were thinking, how do we do this in 1935? The first way the thought was the pellet because it was basically trans, transplanting a pure organ, a testicle or ovary into the fat. In fact, the original studies on testosterone actually transferring, um, uh, they used roosters first and they actually t- uh, transferred into the roosters to see the increase of the cock size, the increase of their, the, the muscle go was to put it under the skin. Same thing with us, Jim. It's it, how do you mimic the actual ovary or testicle itself is to get the, into the blood supply as fast as possible by bypassing any detriment like the gut. Okay. So let's go back and talk a little bit about the creams. Uh, since you had mentioned them before, um, I have a couple of friends of mine that I'm trying to get them to get on the pellet, but, uh, through their provider, they're, I guess, officially diagnosed with low testosterone, so insurance picks it up and they, they're able to get the cream reimbursed. Um, okay, there's two types of cream, Jim. There's the bioidentical cream and then there's the, the, the prescription one. The, the, um, the one, the androgel, that's been actually shown to increase blood clots, rare, has been increased blood clots, don't care if it's covered by insurance or not, and they don't get to the level. The level is not what increases the blood clot, it's the metabolites that increase the blood clot, not not the, uh, the shot. There's a, there's a protein within platelets called thromboxane A2, and that causes platelets to coagulate together. And that's, happens, that's actually increased with the injections, the IM, and the androgels. Extremely rare. Bioidentical creams don't have those, don't have those fillers in there, and they, they, they don't have those increased risks, but they don't equal the blood level, um, the actual blood level that a pellet can. Mm-hmm. But I, I think creams are the second best. Okay. And obviously with the cream... The problem again, Jew is... Go ahead. Is the absorption area, the site, becomes less efficient over time. You could rub it on your kids. You could rub it on your spouse. It could be spread that way. You could put all this money and stuff on your creams. Next thing you know, sweat it off. The goal is to get, the reason why it makes the pellet so great, Jim, it just mimics our body. Mm-hmm. And obviously the creams are absorbed by the skin, go right into the bloodstream, and, and you're bypassing yep. obviously the liver and the GI tract right. and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I, I do... To your point earlier about, you know, it being transferable to, you know, other humans that you're in close contact with, um, in addition to that, you know, my friends have mentioned that, you know, they have to put it on, they have to wait, you know, it's got to dry, they can't, you know, go work out right afterwards, uh, they can't t- take a shower, they got to be careful if they, mm-hmm. you know, use a towel um, to wipe wipe the site, so to speak. Um, and they got, it seems to me they're doing it every day. I mean, is that how a lot of these um, creams work? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Because again, the blood level is not high enough, not constant enough. So you got to make sure you keep them as high as you possibly can. Um, then, you know, Dr. Amit, our compound pharmacist, he makes a great testosterone cream. It gets good volumes, but the problem is, he'll tell you yourself, he's on this. He did the benefits of the the high, how high we get and how constantly we stay level with testosterone pellets is what makes it there. It's just, I when I went into this, you know, 14, 15 years ago, I had the plethora of the opportunity to do anything I wanted to do in testosterone. I first recognized we had a, we have a testosterone epidemic. That was a given. Then the question is, what is the best route? So I spent 18 months looking for the best route. Yes, a shot once every couple, and I think the shots, they spread out too far, but once, once a week to every other week, creams every day, every other day, there are options out there. But I was trying to do, what can we do to mimic the testicle exact best way. And the funny thing is, 
the old best way happened to be the old best way for a reason because it's worked. There's a great book called Testosterone out of Germany. It's about 800 pages in the book's premise to show the benefits of testosterone. This is in men and how it does. It's 800 pages. And then to, to show why shots are superior. But even in their induct, in their introduction, the treatment chapter on treatment, they said there's no doubt pharmacokinetically the pellet is the best, but there's a 12.7% expulsion rate. So we're trying to mimic the pellet. So I thought if we could decrease the expulsion rate, then you get the best plus it's done every four to six months and you don't have to deal with everything else. You get the benefit without, you know, a three minute procedure and that's it. So let's talk about the shots. Where do you actually inject on the body? I'm always curious about that. Is it going into the arm? Is it going into the muscle like the vaccine? Is it going into the, the buttock area like the pellets do? Yeah, the, yeah, it's called intramuscular. You want to get it into the large muscle. It's the buttocks or the quadricep or the two most, most ones. Then it sits there. So if you picture um, A plus B, we'll call A the testosterone, the 17 beta testosterone. So in the shots, the testosterone is bioidentical, okay? 17 beta testosterone. Then it's bound to an ester. An ester is a, um, um, an organic molecule. It's bound with this carbon and oxygen. And then there's three of them. There's one called ethrane, propanate, and cyprinate. Those are the three most common. And when the ester dissolves, that's how it leaks out of the muscle into the blood. But the half-life has to do with how that malt, that esterane, the, um, the ester works. Uh, propanate is the, is the fat, is the, excuse me, um, propanate's the fastest, enthrane's the second, cyprinate's in between those. So, but you still get these peaks and valleys. I've never had the injection, Jim, but we've had one person in 11 years go from injections to pellets back to injections. Mm-hmm. So that, that to me tells me a lot of stuff. Um, there are some studies that show the pharmacokinetics of a sub-Q smaller needle is e- equivalent to the intramuscular. It's not standard, but the, stu- the studies show that way. But again, you're injecting yourself every couple times a week. Um, I want to be very clear. If you have low testosterone by today's standards and you want to get to other standards and you do shots or creams, I'm ecstatic because you're helping yourself. But the bottom line is they, the studies show to get heart and brain protection, you want, you want a consistent non-peak and valley. And you want to be over seven to 700 for the heart and about 1,000 for the brain. And again, the pellet, pushes, the pellet shows that data because it's a consistent, steady release. The pellet, a 200-milligram pellet releases 1.7 milligrams per pellet per day on a constant, steady state. So it's hard to say anything's equal to that because they're not. But they're better than nothing. So... To digress a little bit, let's talk about the heart and the brain. Uh, you just made an interesting comment, and the way I'm interpreting that comment is the there's peaks and valleys with the testosterone levels, and therefore, you know, if you're the heart or the brain, um, you know, you're you're not getting what you need, or maybe these organs are are reacting in a way where you know, due to due to confusion or what have you. Um, why is that so important? Because testosterone is very important for mitochondrial health, which turns oxygen to energy. The brain, the heart is 35% mitochondria by weight. What does that mean, Greg? You guys watch movies and you see cyanide poisoning. Cyanide works in mitochondria that fast. 
So that's why cyanide is, attacks the mitochondria. So testosterone helps increase mitochondrial growth. Actually, it's actually made there. And the, the efficiency of making oxygen to energy. And again, the heart's 35% by weight and the brain's roughly 50% by weight. That's, that's one thing. It's the energy source for those two organs to work properly. The big one, Jim, a lot of the literature now we're doing, we're reading with PTSD and TBI, um, and I'm talking to some great guys with human performance labs, is that it's insulin hyperinsulinemia. Insulin is act that small peptide is actually used as a neuro uh, uh, transmitter in the brain. But when you get really, really high, it shuts off its function. So the high glucose in our body leads to high insulinemia, which then has let the brain talk to each other. And we're finding, um, there's a lot, not we, but the studies I'm reading, that with, high, with optimal testosterone level associated with optimal uh, growth hormone levels, that the hyperinsulinemia decreases, therefore the hyperglucose decreases, and you have more insulin sensitivity for the, that's what testosterone does, the cells could function more appropriately. Picture it this way, Jim. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard about hemoglobin A1C. So blood cells float around the body. When you have extra sugar floating around the blood, your body has to do something with it. It's very sticky substance. So it sticks. One thing that sticks to is red blood cells. So that's why how bad your sugar is, is how your hemoglobin A1C is. You want under 5.5%. Well, that mute glucose molecule sticks to every protein, not just red blood cells. And the big one, it's the neurons in the brain. That's why Alzheimer's is called type 3 diabetes because it distorts and tangles the neurons. So it's not just a hyperinsulinemia event. It's also a structural 3D defense. So that's why these hormones are very crucially important to make the brain and heart work optimally. So what's better for the brain and the heart? A person who's got low testosterone that is stable and it's just low. So, you know, that person averages 200 to 220 and that's it. Or somebody who is at 220 gets the shots, they go to 1,000, let's say, then, you know, they drop back down to 600, they get a shot, they go to 1,000. So it's all this constant up and down. From a b- the roller coaster is far superior. Is it? Okay. All right. That's what I wanted to know. So no matter yeah, what. Because you're getting, you, no matter what. Okay. No matter what. We've seen that. In fact, we're working with that human performance, um, one of our guys, and, and um, he's done test shots forever, and he's been, took, and he converted the pellets, and he said he's not slept in 15 years, and he slept the first in the first three days. So, because it's the constant steady state, but it's still better. That he can, when he started testosterone, he was a, a zombie, his own words. Starting the shots improved. But the route changed that month that after being on shots for about 10, 12 years, he literally slept within a week, three day, three nights in a row. He called me, he could not believe it. Okay, so now we get to the pellet. I know you've been trying to get there for the last you know, 18 minutes or so, and now we're here. Um, so from my perspective, being a patient, uh, I come in, uh, I get the procedure done, to your point, it's a five minute procedure. Uh, and then I'm pretty much good to go for the next six months. So from a convenience standpoint, it's far superior. You know, I'm not taking shots every week or 10 days or whatever the time frame is. Um, obviously far superior to the, um, the creams as well. And uh, so from that standpoint, it's great. Um, the downside to it is that, you know, you are breaking skin and, you know, you are, you know, placing the pellets um, and you're some at the placement site, you know, there, there tends to be some sensitivity and what have you. So before we get into your technique, um, let's just talk about 
in a little more, I guess, detail, the, the, the practice of placing the pellets and then once that pellet is inside your body, um, how is it able to slow release and keep those levels the same, you know, for the next four or five or six months compared to the shot? Beautiful. First thing is, I'll go to the pellet. We're talking only men pellets right now. The men pellet standard size is four millimeters by 12 millimeters. Based upon your size, your levels, men get between seven and 11 or 12 of those. Again, the pellet is squared off. It's a round with a squared off. I, I'm a, I was a pelvic surgeon for years, and when I operated laparoscopy-wise, my probes I used to get into the body after I got in the body with the sharp, what's called the trocar, I used a rounded blunt dissector and I used water or normal saline to dissect my tissue because there's a lot of planes within the body that are avascular. So you think you stick a knife in a belly, everything's going to bleed. Not necessarily. I mean, if there's ways to get around and make surgery as bloodless as possible. So when I saw a, um, I looked at the probe we were using and I, and I saw a company that had a roundish one, and I, I talked to our company, uh, Qualgen, and I said, I, I, I got an idea to make it this kind of shape. And they took a year to do it. They made a shape for that. Because again, when you're pushing the pellet in, that's a cylinder with round 90 degree angles, you're going to cut tissue, more chance of cutting tissue. The rounded edges separate tissue. Also, the technique I use is I use the, the saline, the um, the lidocaine, 2% lidocaine with epi and sodium bicarbs is less burning, but the actual injection into the subcutaneous area separates the tissue, probably even place it. By using the needle and spreading about 120 degree angle, I could actually separate the, the fat area more to have a space for the trocar to go. Then, oh, I jumped in that. So the pellet itself, how it goes that? And we know from the original, well, multiple studies now, but a, that size pellet, again, uh, Without, without heart rate staying stable, not working out, it, it's 1.7 milligrams per um, pellet per day. So you put 10 in there, 10 times 1.7 is 17 um, milligrams per day. You're, you're, you're releasing into your bloodstream. So it's a steady state up. It peaks about one month out, and then you lose at 1.7 per day very slowly. Now, you work out, you get a heart rate goes faster, because it's, it's, the, it's the actual physical structure of the pellet leads to its route. Because it sits there, it's compact, pure testosterone. When the, pellet, when the blood overflows it, just the top surface secretes. Just onto the blood. Because an, an, an endocrine gland does not squirt testosterone from, say, the testicle to the brain. What it does is it, it releases it into the bloodstream around the testicle, into the bloodstream. The bloodstream goes through the whole body, and the se- the cells at every receptor is grabbing it. That's how it works. So the pet the pet the pellet actually mimics that by sitting in fat. Because fat, I mean, it look like it's very vascular with these small capillaries at a microscopic level. So it's the structure of the pellet, Jim. So if you're working out and you're keeping your heart rate up on a regular basis, does that shorten the pellet? Efficacy, or yes. is it actually lengthen it? It shortens it, 
but you get the benefit because when you're working out, you get a rise. So you get a rise during your workout. So you don't, you're, you have a steady state. You're at a great level, 100, 1100, whatever you are in your workout, you're getting release bumps, just like you would if you're doing deadlifts or working out with your normal, if your body's working functionally. So your duration will be shorter because you may go through it. I'd much rather, you know, get pellets every five months and be optimal than to not work out at all and make it last nine months. There's, you know, you'll get benefit from that, but you're not going to get the benefit your body's going to get by working out. So when you say when you increase your heart rate, you're actually, what, manufacturing more, your body's manufacturing more testosterone? No, no, no. The bloodstream is making a faster current over the pellet. So it's what, taking more pellet off the, I see. like a sandcastle, okay. right? If you've got a sandcastle, a little bit of water comes washed a little bit at a time. One big wave wipes out more, most of it. So your workout, not a wave, but it's bigger. So you're not making more of yourself. You're releasing more of the pellet there because there's more blood going to washing off the top layer. Got it. Okay. That's a good, that's a good analogy. All right, so you, again, jumped a little bit ahead. This seems to be the theme today, but so you're initially- Just today? You're, you're initially uh, making, doing the placements uh, in people, and you talked mm-hmm. earlier about the, you know, the squared off corners you know, on the pellet, mm-hmm. and you know, the old technique you know, is more sharp, and you're, you're in effect breaking, tearing or breaking tissue you know, as you're doing this, and therefore the patient at the end of the day experiences swelling um, and potentially some discomfort and, you know, potentially a a pellet being expelled, um, uh, you know, within the first, you know, three or four weeks of of placement. So you're going through this thing, you're doing this thing for a few years. What motivated you or what, was there a specific instance with a patient that the light bulb went off of your head and said, you know what, I got a better idea to do this. I happen to be an OBGYN, so I'm a pelvic surgeon, not a not a orthopedic pelvic surgeon, but an OBGYN pelvic surgeon. So I know the anatomy pretty well. And the way where everybody's trained is a certain way you go, everybody, everybody treats, everybody cheat, uh, cheats, treats, you go lateral to the sciatic nerve. That's not even a question. Not even, we all, everybody does that. But the space we're trained to go up is a little up and outer quadrant of your, of your buttocks outer. So if you could put your finger on your, on your, your iliac crest on the outside there, that right there is go down under your belt line and go up to that area. And it works. It's the, nothing wrong with that. Uh, again, the national average of, be, of, of pellet loss is about between five and 7%. We were about two, about 3% range, but I found I was more tender. And then, so the first thing we did, we, we, had, we added ice, ice immediately. The ice we have found these wonderful round ice packs just changed everything because inflammation the first few hours made a world difference. The round pellet helped. That helped again. That was about four years ago as well. But there's a space. If you p- fill the back of your, 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 your iliac crest again from the middle of your spine to the side, there are two muscles there. The biggest one is the gluteus maximus on the medial to the, the medial side, the middle to the outside, and then one called the um, gluteus um, medius, which is more lateral. And if you look at the, if you look at the butt and the, the crack in the middle, so it's about two thirds of the way out to the lateral side, there's a space between those two. And I thought, wow, why not put it there? So let's aim. So I aim, I go from the, where the, where the belt line is, go about two inches under that. And then I look at that and I aim for the femoral head, the head of the, the, the femur in your head. That's my, there's like a pie there, pizza pie right there from smaller to larger. And we numb that area and we just found what, I, don't, I, I think it's a combination of the hydrodissection, a combination of the pellet shape 
and also the combination of our speed. Um, I do a woman in about 30 seconds, the actual placement, a man about two, three minutes. And I was taught as a surgeon, speed's very important, not to be fast, but it's less trauma to the individual. If you do sm- smoothness leads to speed, not speed leads to, to procedure. And I found knowing these landmarks, I think it's very teachable. I used to teach surgery years ago and knowing landmarks really helps, Jim. And we have, you know, we have four or five um, wonderful nurse practitioner PAs here and they've learned the technique. And what's very interesting, Jim, when other people come to us from other places and we're done, they like, they can't believe we're done. They can't believe the procedure is done, which is great. I think it's awesome. Um, so when that, so all with the, I thought I sort of pioneered that position. I did not. I found a paper from Dr. Morgenthaler that he actually did that technique. Um, I may have modified it a little bit more lateral, but it was not my technique. But I do believe we've sort of pioneered with the combination of the pellet, the hydrodissection, and the area I'm aiming to. And then the reproducibility of a gym, that's what's important. You don't need Dr. Brand in place your pellets. You do, I think our optimal bio way is, is transferable. The um, trocar. Explain what that is to us non-medical professionals. Uh, okay, and the then, pellets. No, not the pellets, the trocar itself. No, no. And then, no, I'm going to tell you. Okay. okay. And then the... Okay, the pellets, though. And then you had mentioned before you're using a duller trocar now than the sharper trocar. Right. So a trocar, picture it as a metal straw, okay? You got the butt end where you load the pellets and the shaft that goes into the underskin. It goes about a 30-degree angle under the skin. Under the skin, above the muscle, there's a space of subcutaneous fat. That's what we're going for. And... So we, again, we dissect it off with the fluid, we, spa- we open the space up, and then we make a three millimeter incision. And the pellet's four millimeters. That's, how, that's the diameter of the pellet. The trocar is about 4.1 millimeters inside, the inside diameter. So we use it at what's called an 11 blade scalpel, which is like a point, it's a sharp point. You make a stab incision, three millimeters. So then I put the skin in back to my surgical technique. And when you place what's called a trocar for laparoscopic surgery, you put pressure on it, but you rotate to separate the tissue again. So we do the same exact technique. We don't just push it in. So doing that, we do have the sharper edge of the trocar as a beveled edge, but we don't, I, I use a blunt probe inside there. So I'm not cutting as much tissue so I'm actually separating it with the rotation. So I'm keeping constant, steady pressure with the back of my, with my palm as I rotate it at about a 30 degree angle. And that separates it. Then you pull out the blunt one and you put the pellets in and the men, there's usually three rows. So I put a row in the middle. Then since it's a 45 degree bevel edge, I roll it to a le- left side and then move it out so that you keep the pellets separate, separate, three separate rows. Because the worst case is when they coalesce and form what's called the seroma. The seroma builds up pressure and they could push the pellet out through the track and out, which our rate's now under 1%. But um, that can happen. Usually people don't listen. I want no deadlifts or squats for about four or five days for the men and continue, continue the ice. A woman losing a pellet's less than one in a thousand. Okay, I think I understand what you're doing there. And well, it's just a, put your straw at a 30 degree angle to the skin going into that area. So now I got a straw in there. And in the, the straw is where I put um, the spitballs, where, you know, kids, whatever. That's you put the pellets inside there. And then if the, if the, the, the shaft of the, of the, um, of the trocar is about four inches, so the pellets are going to be at least four inches 
be from the skin incision. So they're about six inches away from the skin incision and they're far away because when they get closer, that's how they could migrate up the track. And the hope is, and there's your other technique, Jim, is we compress that. So hopefully comp- uh, actually completely compress that track immediately. We put a Steri strip and a tegaderm over, which is waterproof. Then we put some paper tape and put pressure dressing to compress, not to compress the pellets, compress the track so that the, the, the tissue could get, you know, there's no dead space in surgical fields. And then put ice pack over that. So the tight pressure bandage only for an hour or two really makes a difference in compressing the track loss too. So I think all that adds up, Jim. And the actual, if I was to look at a pellet or you describe the pellet to people on this podcast because when they're getting placed they're they're laying on their stomach or on their side so they can't see the pellet what's it look like right yeah it's it's a grain of rice is more of the woman's dosage it's it's a a, a hundred milligram pellet is three milligrams of three three millimeters by 10 but the estrogen pellets are like wafer thin wafer thin so very small so that's that's correct but a man picture you know 12 millimeters so Half half an inch, uh, a little over half an inch in length, and four millimeters in, in diameter. It's a pretty good size. Mm-hmm. Uh, ours are um, made from cholesterol as the binding agent. They have a nice smooth surface on them, and they're not they're not encapsulated. It's the same hormone through and through. That's why it dissolves. The top layer, like the inside layer, is exactly the same. So, okay, I'll give you a, a skinny, a good and plenty, a skinny good and plenty. Candy from the uh, from the past, the oldest candy in American history, which I love too. But that's another story. So you had a, uh, a most a recent experience with a, a patient of Optimal Bios in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and just for those listening for the first time, uh, Optimal Bios experienced significant growth over the last few years, and uh, we ended up acquiring a practice in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, back in June of 2021, and that patient that was uh, as part of that practice was going to a different doctor who was using a, a different technique. Uh, tell us about that patient experience after you uh, placed that individual a month or so ago. Yeah, we had a great conversation over the science of it. It was fantastic. She enjoyed us talking about that. So you lay on the side and you tilt just a little bit. So it's not, it's not on your belly, a little bit on your side. And um, so you use, I use a technique where I use iodine alcohol to sterilize it. Then I numbed her and place the procedure. I, you know, again, a woman's rather quick. The actual, uh, say, she's on her side probably 30 to 45 seconds. And she, I go, I'm done. She goes, nah, you're kidding. I go, I'm done. And she goes, I've never been fat longer. I've never been here less than 20 minutes. And I said, okay, I'm just telling you. And she literally went home the next day, felt no pain, nothing. Emailed us and said, are you sure you put it in there? Because I've never had this experience. And I was like, all I can tell you is we did it. We'll check your labs in a month. But uh, so it's, and that's not unusual, which is weird, Jim, because the unusual part was she didn't, she didn't believe us tw- face, face and email. But it is, again, we've had people go to other places and say they, they, they had not that kind of experience. So it's, um, I think the technique is definitely reproducible, reproducible Jim. Because again, same thing with our, uh, our PAs, Jim. You placed by, you know, we've been all placed by our PAs. Every PA has placed me first. And, um, Again, I think that the education is my job to teach the technique. But yeah, she Jim, she she didn't believe it. I think she finally believed it. <laughs> we'll see uh, how she's feeling. But that's uh, that was very unique. The email was very funny. Well, I mean, just from my personal experience, having been doing this for you know a little bit over three years right now, um, 
you know, the last, you know, year and a half compared to the first year and a half uh, post-placement is night and day. I mean, there are times where if I weren't getting that Novocaine shot to numb things up initially, um, I wouldn't even know you're doing it. And, uh, you know, by 24 hours to 48 hours later, um, you just have this little bump there and that's it. There's, it's nothing like it was before. So for those out there that are going to different doctors to get the pellets right now, um, you might want to consider Optimal Bio because, like I said, Dr. Brandon's got a very uh, uh, unique technique and RPAs have the same technique and, you know, the, the efficacy and the, uh, uh, you know, post-placement uh, um, discomfort, you know, is, is very little for most. Anything else you want to talk about in reference to uh, BHRT? Other than I think the importance of it for our overall health is so strong. So what I want people to do, and hopefully we educate, is to start reading on the health benefits of being optimal, okay? I, you know, how they, the, the way they sell the commercials, you know, they'll say, you know, she'll love it too and that kind of stuff. No, 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 that's not what this is about, Jim. It's about wellness and health. And I don't want to play a game, but it's not a game. It's like, you know... You know, Frederick Douglass and Davy Crockett ran around 1,400. Why aren't we doing that? And, and that's what's important to me is, you know, we have these hormone sta uh, standards. And if they're changing, the question should be why they're changing, not that today's values are better. Uh, if they happen to be, fine. But they're not. When, you're, when your body's making less of what it's supposed to make, that cannot be beneficial. That's be detrimental. So really understand the health benefits to bone, to heart, to brain, uh, to other hormone systems, to the way the brain works, the anxiety, depression. We have so much, we have about 70 articles in our book tying to this right now. And, and you know, Jim, we're working on another book to show in pure science on uh, the benefits is look at the science benefits and then find the best route of administration. Uh, if anybody's in hormones, I'm ecstatic because they're, they're searching out. And I think uh, that's what I really wanted to do is help them understand that there are ways to get this done to be, and you're healthier. You're not paying a price. You're not getting fit for a shorter time. Longevity and health go together. They're not, they're not, they're not contracurrent. They're actually concurrent. Yeah. And since I've been involved here too, it's, it seems like the lab ranges are going down every single year. Um, you know, and I know in previous podcasts, we've talked about, you know, uh, the disruptors, you know, in our diet, in our, in our plastics and everything else. And it seems like yep. nobody anywhere is doing anything about it at this point in time. So, you know, there's going to be a greater dependency, I think, on, on testosterone treatment and hormone treatment in general in the future, unless things change from an environmental standpoint. Yeah, it's, hard, it's, hard, it's starting in the womb, Jim. We have generations we can change this around. It just takes generations. All right, so let's pivot a little bit. Um, I kind of want to go through a little brief discussion on peptides and CJC. Um, okay. So just for, again, for myself and for the audience, um, what are peptides? And I think, what, insulin's probably the most famous one at this point in time? Exactly. A peptide, when you have two amino acids that bind together, that's a peptide, a dipeptide, a protein, different names for different structures. But we use peptides as usually a small molecular protein. Insulin is one of the most common peptide we know about. That's correct, Jim. So it is a, it's a protein uh, that has functions. Um, 
So that's what a peptide is. And you said insulin is the one, the first ones, the first ones found and the first one we actually understand. It's made by the beta cells of the link cross, which causes your body to store glucose into the cells. After you eat, your body makes insulin. Insulin makes this this neurotransmitter to the cells. Cells understand the the reception of the the information and it opens up the receptor site to to put sugar into the cell and store it as fat. So from a simple way, if the way I understand it, you know, every day the, your cells are reproducing, they're getting broken, they're getting banged up. Um, you go to sleep at night, uh, hopefully you get a really good sleep and that gives you a chance for your body to, uh, to, you know, fix, to, to drain, to replenish itself, um, to fix some of these cells and what have you. And when that doesn't happen, um, I guess what, when that does happen, you're, you're what, trying to get into a, a homeostasis um, place, basically. And when you're yep. not, you're in a, what, a senescence place. Um, I think yep. I got that right. So you want to talk a little bit about both of those real quick? Yeah, homeostasis is when you're healthy, senescence is when you're aging, right? So the goal is, why do we age? multiple theories. Do we age because we lose hormones or we age because we don't have hormones? Do we age because there's abnormal proteins? All these things add together. So a cell's happy when it, when you picture a growth hormone we're going to talk about next. Growth hormone makes cells stay happy and young. As, as multiple functions on not just muscle and fat, it also puts us in sl- uh, the deep sleep wave. It actually makes the body heal when we're sleeping like you talked about. So what, what we're talking about with peptides is we're looking how can we augment what our body makes. Every single hormone we make decreases with age except for cortisol. And cortisol stores belly fat, makes cells weaker. You cut your skin, you're bruising. That's all hypercholesterol uh, cortisol. So the goal is, can we mimic, and there's controversy in this, but not much controversy on, on IGF-1 and functioning with age. So the brain, part called the hypothalamus, has these six hormones. We're going to focus on these. this one right now called releasing hormone, growth hormone, releasing hormone. Growth hormone is secreted every 90 minutes, lasting for about two hours. And the frequency doesn't change with age, but the amplitude does. The largest amplitude is before sleep because growth hormone peaks about an hour after deep sleep. So that's growth hormone, releasing hormone, makes your anterior pituitary release growth hormone in the cycle I just talked about. Then growth hormone tells the liver make a thing called IGF-1, insulin growth factor one. Sounds bad, insulin, but insulin growth factor, insulin's other functions to make cells grow, to heal, to not be senseless like you talked about. Then the IGF-1 just wants something else. It makes a thing called somatostatin, which turns it off. So you have this great cycle. So there are three things that control the production of growth hormone. One is somatostatin, which turns it off. Then you have growth hormone, uh, releasing hormone we talked about. And then you have the things called growth hormone peptides. They're called growth hormone secretories. It's a granulin. Granulin makes you hungry. Actually augments this as well through a completely different receptor site. So that's how the body works normally, okay? So the question is how do we augment our testosterone? Since the growth hormone, u- gro- insulin growth factor uses testosterone and optimal thyroid, how can we get those things that we lose those levels with age? And again, this is important. This is not anti-aging. It's not fighting age. It's being optimally healthy is the, the growth hormone releasing hormone is this peptide that's 44 amino acids long. Well, they know from the, what's called the amide, the terminal end of the nitrogen and hydrogen end, those 29 is the active part. And there's a few out there that um, actually mimic that. Somorlin is one of them. Um, 
There's another one called CJC 1295 without DAC. The reason why I like that one, Jim, it doesn't affect prolactin or cortisol growth. It doesn't have any side effects and other releasing hormones. So that makes your own go up. And then empamorlamin is called a grenulin hormone releasing peptide that mimics grenulin that works by another way to augment your growth hormone by turning off the somatostatin for just a short time so you get the benefits without, without losing the, the, that circle of turning yourself off. So our levels, if you do it this way, is you never get super physiological levels. You only get optimal levels as our age gets older. Is there a difference between an, a typical HGH and an HGH peptide? Yes. HGH is human growth hormone. Again, it's great. But if you take it by itself, you lose that feedback loop. So if you get dosed properly, it's okay. But you can increase blood sugar, hypertension, uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. But if you do the growth hormone releasing hormone analog, you don't lose that feedback loop. So you don't get those side effects. And you get the benefits we talked about. Promote slow wave sleep, uh, pr- improve memory retention, um, simulate muscle growth, which sounds crazy. But Jim, number four cause of death over the age of 60 is falling down, usually falling down off the toilet. Sarcopenia means you're losing muscle. And we lose 1% of muscle every year. What if we could stop that? We'd lose these other diseases. And the fourth thing it does is burns fat and makes lean muscle, which is, again, it's healthy for you. It's not just a physique thing. Okay, so... You mentioned that if HGH is dosed right, less side effects. Exactly. But from the uh, the peptide HGH, is that just a dosing issue with HGH, or is there is there a difference with the the peptide HGH? Yeah, there's a difference, Jim. Because if you take growth hormone, releasing hormone, again, all it's going to do, it's going to augment your normal release of your normal growth hormone. All right? So you can't go higher doses. So therefore, you will not have the hyperinsulinemia. You will not have the high blood sugar. You will not have the carpal tunnel. You will not have those issues because it also downregulates itself. That's what's important. Growth hormone, in fact, in America, you can't take it. It's a black box thing. You can't even take it unless you have um, syndromes of of a complete deficiency of that growth hormone which is a problem because there's a lot of benefits to it. With you know, Again, think about the brain with PTSD and TBI. The cutting edge in the future is going to be growth hormone, releasing hormones, uh, testosterone, um, fish oil. These kind of things are making the brain work much more efficiently. So the, the thing we're going to do is I want to mimic, because it goes back to our bioidentical premise. This is the 29 end of it is bioidentical, but it is... I want to mimic what your body does. So I don't want to make more physiological levels, but I'm not here to poo-poo growth hormone, Jim. If you got the right dosage, you could fine tune it and you have to take times off of it so you don't turn off your hypopituitary axis so that can regenerate itself. But when you go on growth hormone releasing hormones and those augmented peptides, you don't ever lose that down regulation. So how would you determine whether or not a patient needs growth hormone? Yeah, it's, there's a thing called adult growth hormone deficiency syndrome, which has to do with symptoms, sarcopenia, loss of muscle, loss of bone. But the problem is that's a normal variant to everybody. So when you look at the strict criteria, the problem is that I, 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 very few would meet the strict criteria because everybody's losing that. So when you look at, you look at symptoms. The biggest one, Jim, is sleep. 
it's sleep. It's recovery from is recovery from sleep. Um, the, what it does on the slow delta waves is tremendous. So sleep's the big one. Um, joint pain recovery, um, but again, mo- testosterone will help most of those, if not all of those. But it's fine tuning what you need to do. And if your brain is really one involved, that's where the growth. We've been Jim. We've been very fortunate. With you working with our our military with PTSD and TBI clinic. We have been referred, and they see a significant difference in the augmentum. It goes back to we talked about it a half hour ago. The insulin again because the insulin growth factor fine tunes it so you don't get hyperinsulinemia. You don't have those issues. So it's sleep is the number one thing, Jim. That's the one. That's the one I can't stress enough. So tell me about CJC then. So CJ, back to our growth hormone releasing, there's two things. There's growth hormone releasing hormone and there's growth hormone releasing peptide, okay? That's made in our gut called grenoline, okay? That's in our gut grenoline. So they made analogs of that and that porlamine is one of them. It's a pentapeptide, five amino acids that augments CJC1295 without DAC. So again, growth hormone, it's a releasing hormone itself is 44, but the 29 at the end is the one that's active. So they subtract, they took, they substituted four amino acids and made it, um, made a CJC that molecule. So that one augments the release of its own growth hormone. That's how it works. So you take those two together before bedtime. You can take a morning dose and afternoon dose, but the bedtime one's the optimal one, and that will help put you to sleep. And then you, when you're sleeping, your body's recovering. So you're, the word you send us that you're doing will be less of that. So the cells will be able to help to grow and, and prepare themselves. The key is repair. And how do you take it? Is it an oral? It's, a, it's an injection. It's a small needle, 31 gauge, a, diabetes, a diabetic needle, and you rotate it on the skin around your belly and sides. Monday through Friday. It's, you just want to rotate it. I like five days on, two days off for three months and then one month off. Um, there's no studies to show that this continuously will turn down your brain, but the studies up to a year being on this has seen that you, if you do that, you never turn down your hypopituitary axis. So Dr. Seed is a, uh, one of the doctors, I guess, on the forefront of peptides at this point in time. And he talked a little bit about, um, uh, being able to help a, a female who had chronic myeloid leukemia, who was you know trying to get pregnant, um, he talked about it potentially being beneficial to uh, you know certain types of arthritis and what have you. Um, you know, from a very simplistic way, is is the peptide in general, you know, kind of like the the EMT or the first aid station that's that's coming to the cell to. Uh, to help protect and help fix, you know, what's going on? Yeah, I, I, that's a good way to say, Jim. Uh, Dr. Seeds is an orthopedic surgeon, so he understands um, how, this, how the body works. It has to do with growth hormone heals, period. It heals, okay? Um, when you and I were kids, if, if, if athletes went to Germany uh, to get healed, that's they're going there for that in those days. So that's why the combination of, of lowering your sugar, increasing your testosterone, increasing your growth hormone have all been shown to be beneficial for healing brain first we'll say the muscle skeletal stuff second so when you look at arthritis that's an inflammatory process right so you want to do is you want to heal the cartilage and heal the bone and he talks about in his book he's had patients in the old days he would have done maybe some you know missed his surgery he's not doing surgery on it's not the end all the be all if you're bone on bone he's the pro at that not me but yeah this growth hormone is a healer jim okay 
in your practice, have you run across patients where you've um, had to recommend, you know, potential uh, growth hormone treatment? Yes, Jim. A lot. I get a lot of our military. We have a lot of referrals from counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, PTSD clinics. I find that um, they talk to me about the testosterone is phenomenal. When they add the growth hormone, it's a game changer. Uh, that's who it is. The literature, um, Dr. Lungo at USC is a big believer in low IGF-1 increases longevity. But you look at his data, it may be blue zone areas that may be a little skewed. Uh, Seeds goes through that in detail in his book showing just the opposite. Almost everybody shows IGF-1 actually increases uh, quality and longevity. So I don't mean, I don't mean poo-pooing this, not, there's not some controversy there, but Seeds refers, has some great literature on that. So, but I, I, I think as we age, I've been on myself for six years, Jim, and um, the, the biggest thing I find is that, uh, that with our pellets, it's sleeping seven and a half, eight hours and wake up with no alarm for the last, I was an OB, those don't know, I was an OBGYN for, you know, for 30 some years. The last five, six years sleeping like that has been just a life sin. Sounds good. Anything else you want to add on CJC peptides? I think it's important. Um, people come to us, Jim, we give them like seeds book to buy. We give him other articles to read. It goes back to education again, Jim. And, 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 I, and we're not here to argue with other doctors. I mean, I'm, I'm an allopathic. I get every f- diploma on the wall in my office. I got all that. But I'm also board certified and, and a fellowed functional and, and metabolic medicine. It's just in medicine in America, we're trained so illiterately in nutrition. And I think that's why it's important for the, the individual to be the best advocates themselves. So I think optimal buy our job is to educate Jim. So my, my last thing always, Jim, is that I want people to take, take their life is more important to them than anybody else. And I want this, I hope we can help them walk that path. All right. As always, we end with uh, takeaways. I know you already gave a few, but can you come up with uh, three or four more takeaways you want to leave the audience with tonight? Don't take something that's common makes it normal. I don't want to hear normal is actually okay. Um, I think that's, I think it's really, that my third one will be Jim, ask questions. So real quick, elaborate on the normal is okay thing. I go to my doctor, I feel tired and they say it's normal because you're 50. You know, um, a wife comes, she's 35, she has three kids, she's tired, she has no libido, it's normal. I hate hearing that. I don't want to hear normal. And then when you start looking at the data in more detail, Jim, and then that's the question was, okay, if the, oh, that's it. Like how many doctors even check women's testosterone levels? You know what I mean? Because in America, there's, there's not recommended even treat them for testosterone, let alone, you know, eight, 40, 50 years ago was 150 to 200. Now it's three, but why wouldn't we test? So that's why it's important, Jim, just because there's a, we have a little picture in our, in our, in our office that's as a woman passed out on the floor and there's a range there, it's a scale. And it says, the doctor says, well, you're within range. And she's, you know, you know, one point above range. And that's why those ranges, where's that data come from, Jim? And if you check 10,000 sick people, you're going to have a median, you could have a standard deviation of a bell curve, but they're all sick. So that's why I love Jim. I, I, everybody that comes back to us a month later, I say, great us. We are a zero out of 10 in your life. What are we now? And then it may be a five, it may be a six, it may be a three, whatever it is, we want to know. And then we can fine tune those because the numbers are our guidepost. How they feel and their health is what, is what dictates everything. Sure. And just for the record, we talked a lot tonight about uh, testosterone in males, um, but Optimal Bio actually treats about 55% of his patients are females. 
Um, so uh, just want to put that out there as well. Uh, as always, thank you for your time tonight. Um, it was very informative. And um, any uh, anybody out there that uh, wants to learn more, we have a podcast library on our website, optimalbio.com. Uh, feel free to, uh, to listen at your pleasure. And uh, we hope to see you at the practice at some point in time. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO Tyler Brannon, podcast host and partner Jim Baker, medical director Greg Brannon, production assistance by Core Media, Beth Grabencourt, administrator, Kevin Duthu, executive producer. The podcast can be found on our website, optimalbio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound. Thank you.